This episode is brought to you by Evermill. Evermill makes the world's most elegant spice rack that features text to refill organic spices in compostable packets, as well as a suite of kitchen products that help you cook so you can focus on sharing meals with the ones you love. This episode is brought to you by Equipped. Equipped is a modern luxury fitness brand that creates stylish, compact, portable, and versatile fitness equipment that will inspire you to move anytime, anywhere, whether you have half a minute or half an hour. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast, the show where I get to sit down one-on-one with amazing founders and CEOs to hear their stories and how they got to where they are. This is episode 142, and today I sat down with Mary Ruth Guillaume, the founder and CEO of Mary Ruth Organics. Mary Ruth Organics is a rapidly scaling vitamins, minerals, and supplements brand offering high-quality organic and vegan nutritional supplements to benefit the entire family, from infants to adults. Mary Ruth and I talk about her childhood growing up in New Jersey to tragically losing both her father and brother, which inspired her to shift career paths from working in real estate to becoming a nutritional coach, which led to the creation of her business and a book called Liquid to Lunch. Mary Ruth shares how she went from being in $700,000 in debt to scaling her business to over $100 million in revenue without any outside funding in just seven years. She also shares some great insights on how to build a highly profitable business and why patience and time blocking are keys to success. I hope you enjoy this incredible episode. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to click subscribe, tell all your friends, and you can check us out on stairwaytoceo.com. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, Mary Ruth. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. I'm super excited to hear your really inspiring story in building Mary Ruth Organics. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I love doing podcasts and I'm so happy to be here. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm so excited to share your story. We can just dive right in. A few things I already know. I was just listening actually to your interview with Gary V. Um, so I heard a bunch of cool little nuggets in there. Um, but I know I think you're from New Jersey. You have a really cool story. I'm from Delaware, so East Coast. Totally get that vibe. So tell us a little bit about your childhood. I know you experienced some loss in your family. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about what what it was like growing up? What kind of kid were you? I I definitely had an amazing childhood just from New Jersey, a very small family. My mom, my dad, myself, my brother, very sports-oriented family. So I was the captain of my basketball team. I was the captain of my lacrosse team. I was all state in lacrosse and I ran cross country. And I think that from the very beginning, I just liked being a part of teams. I think it's fun to have a coach and to work together with people to 
try to achieve something difficult and to be like on a routine and have structure. So if I really think of art, my childhood, I had a learning disability. So I wouldn't say that I was was like a BC student. So I wouldn't say like the memories are highly academic. Instead, I just my, my fondest memories are playing sports and being on teams together. Even when I went to college at Fairfield University in Connecticut, I like broke the gender barrier for intramural refs. So I was like the first female intramural ref in the history of the school. And they put me on the cover of the magazine holding like all this sports equipment. So I just think that that's kind of been a common theme. And I think sports are fun whether you're watching them or playing them. And I think they bring people together. So that that's pretty much, you know, the first 20 years of my life. And, and just to kind of answer your question about loss, I think that it really helped me have a high quality of life. So I did have a lot of loss at a very young age. As you mentioned, when I was 12, my 42 year old father passed away suddenly. And then a couple of years later, when I was I was in high school. No, when I was in college, my brother, Daniel, who was a junior in high school, passed away suddenly. And, you know, the last thing I ever really saw him do was pitch in a varsity baseball game. So I think that, and I'm sure there's people listening on this podcast who have had potentially loss of friendship, loss of health, loss of a job loss of someone that they love. I think especially since COVID, people have experienced different kinds of losses. And my kind of viewpoint on that for me personally was when you lose something or someone you love, at first, you feel like you will have, maybe you have less. But honestly, once I kind of went through the normal process of grieving and going through those experiences, I think in some ways I can see that it was not in vain and that it really expanded my heart and expanded like my vision and my viewpoint. And I do really have a, a lens that is like very special, right? So I have four very young children and a five-year-old, a four-year-old and two, two-year-old twins. So three boys, three boys and a girl. And honestly, when I share with you, like every moment I have with them, I, I, I appreciate it so much more because I, I watch my own mother lose her 17-year-old child. You know, so in, in that regard, I know it's kind of hard, but, but it's really my truth that those experiences expanded me to want to have a healthy life and want to take care of my team and my company and be with my kids and not take it for granted at all. And so for me, I understand why that was my journey or my process. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, in high school, had high school sweetheart type of boyfriend. And it was after we had just graduated high school and he lost his dad to a heart attack that summer. And then two months later, lost his twin brother. And it was like within two months. And even just from the sidelines and with myself, it was like so eye-opening. And it's just, it's so crazy, you know, to lose such close people in your life. I'm actually so happy that that you mentioned that experience that you had, because I, I and I, I'm sure you're going to agree with me on this, like you said, because you were on the sidelines watching that moment in your life. Right before a couple months in my sophomore year of college, a couple months before my brother died, 
And so my dad had already passed away, but one of my friends who was part of the intramural department I was telling you about, I worked with him every day in college. He passed away suddenly. And that was my first experience losing someone who is like our age or young versus, right. I had had my dad pass away, which was obviously very difficult, but I do think, and I'm sure you agree that when you have that moment of someone who's a peer or someone your own age, it is, it is very difficult. And I'm sure, I mean, do you feel like that also made you, your heart more open to experiences or to to have empathy for other people? A hundred percent. I would say it even goes further back when I was younger. I was around five, six years old when my aunt passed and she was 35 at the time. So it was so, you know, that was my dad's sister and to see my dad grieve so heavily and to experience and see that, you know, see death at such an early age. I think it makes you so much more grateful every minute of every day for things that you have in your life and the people around you. And I also wanted to highlight one special book because of the nature and the theme of this podcast. I feel that sharing this one book might be helpful for, again, anyone who's listening. There is a book called Don't Let Death Ruin Your Life. And what's amazing about this book is in the back part, in the index in the back, it has a list of every president, every actor, every scientist, every hundreds of names of people who are successful, who lost a parent um, when they were 20 years or less. So in this book, it's actually showing you how the brain, whether it's your brain or your heart or your viewpoint, really does correlate to you think very differently. And, And it doesn't mean you have to, you can't achieve amazing things if you don't go through this process. But mostly the point is just that presidents, actors, actresses, scientists, people who want to be in service to a purpose or a cause lost one parent under the age of 20. So that is a really special book. It's so true. I remember I was talking to this Oscar winning director and producer, and he was like telling me about some of these very successful actors and actresses that have gone through so much loss and even himself. And I remember thinking to myself, because I was pretty young, thinking, I don't know if I've experienced enough loss to be a successful actress. <laughs> I literally thought that, you know? No, it's really, it's a very, oh, you really need that to be super successful. <laughs> but, um, no, yeah. Yeah. But you're right. There's this other side. I mean, if you, you're either like uber successful or maybe an alcoholic and, you know, these, <laughs> like, the uh, spectrum, the spectrum yes. of just, I think, experiences and absolutely, and, and I'm, I'm with you. With life. Yes. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, not easy for everyone. And some people, I guess it's a big life shift and makes you, you know, kind of amplify things in your life to, um, I don't know, grow success. I don't know. Anyways, so what were some of the, I guess, first jobs that you had? You know, what was kind of your work life? What did that look like before you started your company? So truly just going back to like the sports and the theme of sports, I, in high school, um, I was on a summer league basketball team and a lot of other people on my team were also in that league. And during the day we worked at a summer camp. And again, the whole idea of like having fun, being with kids, being on teams, we would have, the kids were like 10, I don't know, seven to 10 color war, pie eating contests, those kinds of things. Then I went to college. Then I was the intramural ref in college. And then after college, I really started, I had a company before this company, 
it was called Beam Green and it was based off of just like nutrition and the green baby movement. And then I was in real estate for a little while, which was very important because I sold real estate at Douglas Elliman on Madison Avenue in New York, where I learned a lot about financial, financial things, mortgages, and do they, do they have enough money to buy this home? And I was on a top, I think I said this, but I was on a top 10 team at Douglas Elliman. And then I started million dollar lunchbox, which turned into Mary Ruth organics LLC. So that's the year 2013. I did not have any products. Then I just had a private practice on 47th and third doing one-on-one nutrition consults in a building called Regis, which is kind of like WeWorks. And I was teaching uh, Liquids to Lunch, this book. People really loved it. And the whole kind of thing was people said, oh, I really love Liquids to Lunch, but when I take my capsule vitamins, they make me so nauseous. And that's really where the idea came to make a liquid morning raspberry multivitamin was from taking care of people and listening to my clients. And I was in, it's a long story, but I was in, it's really my mom's debt, but I was in $700,000 of debt. It was Amex credit card bills and money that my mom owed friends and family. And how she got in that situation was after my dad and my brother died, she took over a um, Warren Lumber and Millwork, a lumber company. And that was my dad's. And it was doing so well. It was an $89 million company with 300 employees in six locations. And then the housing market crashed and Lehman Brothers crashed. And it was kind of like the perfect crash education course in my mom saying, and that now I'm still like, I'm not even really, I mean, I'm, I can't even remember. I like really didn't even, I was like just out of college. And, and my mom said, Oh, we only have a hundred thousand dollars left for payroll. And so that was good for me in those early years to see like, wow, like look how much money we had. And then look how the economy changed and look what happened. And now all these people now don't have a job. And it's really good because that's why when we started this company or when I started this company, I wanted to make sure we were profitable from the very first day. I had a lot of financial debt that I had to get our family out of. And it made me very careful to make sure that we were always seeing like a two, three or four ROAS on anything that we were going to do. So I'm so happy that I had this very painful chapter of getting out of debt and learning what not to do and how to really secure a business to stick to withstand a recession or, or anything terrible that might happen. That was like the best thing that could have set us up for success that we have now at our company. Absolutely. And I don't, I don't mean to get too spiritual, but I I just really believe in angels and I feel like they do stuff to us to like help us in so many ways. I mean, it's, it's like your dad was like, we're going to go through a lesson here and you're going to build an insane business because of everything you're going to learn. Also, I'm so happy you said that. Uh, This is kind of really crazy, but I want to kind of share this. I'm very big into quantum, quantum physics and 
like so, some people even say like an atom, a neutron, a proton is, is like an angel. So there's like a lot of quantum energy that can happen through like leadership or how you treat people that you're with, whether it's your team or your customers. I'm just very into to that as well. So I'm happy you share, shared that. And there was something very important I wanted to tell you something about something just, I can't remember now, but it was something about just building this company. Um, but I'm, I'm sure we'll cover, I'm sure we'll cover other topics. So, Oh no, I hope you remember what it is. I hope I remember I was, it was good. I was it was good. I was like, oh, you said angels. something and I was like, oh, I need to say something. And then I was I, like, I, I think I, your dad oh. did that on purpose so that you could learn and build a massively <laughs> successful business like you have. I'm anyway. like, oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> My fingers are crossed. You remember. Yeah, it. I will come back. Okay. So you were in all of this debt. You learned how to get things turned around. Yeah. And you built this insane, profitable company without any investors. Can you talk about what it takes to build a profitable business? So I have a favorite saying. I say it all the time, um, including in our all staff meetings. I, I say profit equals free will. And I'll just say it again, because it's so important. Profit equals free will. And why we kind of even talk about this at our company is I always, in the all staff meetings, I say, okay, everyone raise your hand if you agree that if you if you have a house or an apartment and a family and that family is financially stable, that that family has better mental health and security and everything is better. And everyone's hand goes up. Like everyone's like, yes. And then I always try to connect the micro and the macro, which is I want our whole team, not just executive leadership to believe that profit is a good thing for our company. And so we should work together. I I even have a slogan like micro, 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 micro equals EBITDA, which is just profit comes from all of these very small choices that you make when how you're going to run the org, how you're going to build the business, micro, micro, micro equals EBITDA or equals profit. So all these little things do really matter, right? If you're not careful at the end of the year, you may see you are not a profitable company or you're losing money and you need to get investors. But if you're so careful and the whole unit is working together, we have 105 employees and six long-term contractors, if everyone, the whole, not, not just 10 people at the company, but if everybody is like, yes, free will to like, most founders start out and they have a vision and they want to make a social and environmental impact. And then somewhere along the way, they are not profitable. So they have to compromise their goals or dreams. They cannot give back to their employees the same way that they want to. That's why profit is so important because your back will never be up against a wall and you will never have to start making bad decisions for your employees or your customers or the vision or any of these things. If you maintain profit, you can give back like crazy. And like last year, our company gave $1.6 million in long-term incentive and bonuses to every single employee. Did you know that $1.6 million is not an ad back? But if I donate $1.6 million to charity, it is an ad back. So that's why a lot of times companies, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about anyone, but I just want to bring education to people. Like that's why sometimes it's easier to donate to a charity, but not give back to your employees. But I really believe like 
if you as a team are working together, then you can create things where like we did summer Fridays for everyone this summer in the middle of a recession, or we're giving everybody ear pods, or I just announced at all staff yesterday that we were going to do gym memberships in person or virtual. These are the, we have like almost zero, zero healthcare insurance. We have unlimited paid time off. We have, whether it's the primary caregiver or the secondary caregiver, whether it's two moms or two dads or somebody on my finance team, his wife just had a baby. We have three months paid parental leave for either spouse at our company. Like these are all the, we're going to be B Corp certified this year, this year, scored above 80 points on the exam. I did the whole test myself. B Corp is basically people over profit but it is possible to take care of people and be profitable all at the same time. All that being said, I think it's most helpful for people who are listening for me to kind of break down whether they're in the middle, whether they're, whether they're just starting out, whether they're in the middle or whether they're like, how will we ever be profitable? I kind of want to break down like some of my, my go-tos to how to actually do this, whether you're a small company, middle size or extremely large company. Okay. So let's hear it. <laughs> you can breathe, but we're really oh, on the seat of our, uh, on the edge of the seat. <laughs> and, and why I hope this is helpful for people is that, and I do want to talk about when I did, we did, we made it to over a hundred million in revenue and 17 million in profit with zero outside funding coming from negative $700,000 in debt. So it wasn't like a startup with $3,000. It was, I also had to start the business and then pay off all of that personal debt. And we've been profitable for nine years. And I think anyone can do it. And I want to talk about how. Yeah. Yes. Okay. How? Tell us how. Uh, <laughs> okay. Number one thing where people get in trouble is mm-hmm. they do not have patience. I'm one of those people for sure. So if you're listening, people, I'm with you. <laughs> so impatient. Uh, they have to be so patient and it is so powerful. The combination of being patient and working as hard as you can in a 24 hour period that combined is so powerful. So we're going to talk about the working hard in a second. That goes, that has to do with time blocking something that I've been doing for 18 years. So we'll talk about time blocking in a minute, but I want to talk about being patient first. And then at the end of that, so I want to talk about being patient. I want to talk about time blocking. And then I want to say something about when I did do my investor deal, why it was very successful. And I didn't use a banker because of the profit part. If I had no profit, I would definitely have needed a banker, but we'll get to that in a second. So um, every, every, I mentor so many people um, and everyone is the same. It's like you have an idea, either you have a little money, a lot of money for it. Um, you're going to borrow money. You're, you're in debt, but you're still going to do your idea. It's all the same. And somewhere between this moment of like starting and continuing, people just start to convince themselves. They're like, they want everything to be faster. It's an epidemic. The, the solution I've heard of people being like, well, if I just go raise money, then of course my my idea, my business, my software is going to spread all over the world. It's validated. It's almost like validation, right? From an investor putting money in your idea, well, maybe, you're yeah. like, oh, this must work. 
by the way, I never thought about that, but that's a great point too. I never thought about how maybe some people also want valid external validation. I think what I hear the most is people are like, Hey, cause we're also in an Amazon uh, million dollar seller club. So you see a lot of like, you see a lot of information and we get a lot of different CPD, CPG decks, but like, I always hear the same thing. People are like, okay, we are doing X amount of sales. And this, they actually think it's like this. Okay. We're doing X amount of sales. We're going to raise money. And then our, it's our vision is going to spread all over the world. Not like that. You could raise $20 million and then spend it on marketing and your sales are no better. And now you, you have minority control of your company. And you're also wondering like, what am I doing? Because the vision is not really what you want it to be anymore. It's now in the hands of someone else. So the disconnect is like my, now there are exceptions to the rule along the way, like Facebook or something, some idea that is just where you like, it's a slam dunk. And you know, if you raise money, you can do something amazing. But most of the people who, who are starting out in a business, they just need to be way more patient and they need to not spend any money that they are not making no matter what. And I really, because I already had all that debt, I, I had to have a very simple business model, which was like, this tastes delicious. And I'm going to make sure every single customer is happy. So they tell a friend we had like, again, no employees for the first four and a half years, but we were doing over 10 million in profit. I mean, $10 million revenue and profitable. So we still didn't hire an assistant. Instead, we took the money from the assistant to make another product and make another product and make another product. And that let us start to really play ball. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. When was the last time you looked in your spice drawer? If you're like me, you probably have to look at it every time you cook, which is a lot. And it looks like a complete disaster. Different size seasonings, different brands. It's a mess and totally uninspiring. That's until I discovered Evermill, the most beautiful and inspiring spice rack I've ever seen. And it looks gorgeous both on your countertop for everyone to see and compliment, or it looks great in your spice drawer too. Not to mention, they send you refills and compostable packets that you can get to delivered straight to your door simply by sending a text message. So if you're looking for an amazing gift idea, you have to check it out. They also just released two new products, a white marble salt well and an aluminum pepper mill, perfect for the person who you think has everything. You can get 15% off by using the promo code stairway15 on evermill.com. That's 15% off site-wide for the first time ever using the code stairway15 at evermill.com. Do you struggle to find time to go to the gym or even just work out at home somehow? What about the ugly weights you're probably hiding in your closet or under your bed? Out of sight, out of mind. Am I right? 
Meet Equipped, a female-founded luxury fitness brand with a no-pressure approach to movement that creates gorgeous weights that look so good, you can place their U-shaped weight called the U-bar on your coffee table and your friends will probably think it's a new art piece. Or if you're on the go, just throw on their U-wrap super stylish vegan leather ankle weights so that you can get a little workout in while running your errands in style. Featured in everything from Vogue to the Financial Times, Equipped makes it easier to move through life. And if you're looking for a great gift idea this holiday season, you can get 20% off on EquippedMovement.com using the promo code STAIRWAY20. That's 20% off luxury fitness equipment using the code STAIRWAY20 on EquippedMovement.com. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. So how do you know when to start creating new products, right? Because I think there, I know for myself, especially coming from the tech space, there are always there's a lot of pressure from investors or just in general that you get really good at one thing and you stick at it until it's so good and then you expand. So how do you know when to shift gears to create a bunch more products? What I believe is if you if you, you yourself believe this is the right thing, if you can afford it and not have to borrow money or, or whatever else, then you should do it. And people try to, they try to say, we have 150 SKUs and a lot of our competitors have like six hero SKUs. But also by not diversifying, what happens if something happens to one of those SKUs? It's really scary. Or like certain CPG brands, We'll get in Costco and they'll, they'll become a unicorn brand and then they'll kind of stop there. But what if, God forbid, Costco kicks you out? Then you really don't have a company. So it's so important to secure the business and never get lazy. So it's about being patient and, and putting in the real work on a daily basis. And then like you don't have to know all the answers, but as you're time blocking, as you're living out each 24-hour period more and more answers will come to you and you'll know what to do and they'll be the right, no large bets. No like, I'm going to go on the Ellen show and everything's going to work out. You know, brands can pay to go on Ellen or like I'm going to raise money and then we're going to, like I said before, we're just going to spend $20 million on Facebook ads. If, if it was really like that, do you know how many businesses would not fail? If it was really as simple as like, we get money, we market this, we go on a rocket ship to space. It's. <laughs> I mean, you have to, you have to though also believe that though, right? Like as an entrepreneur, yeah. you actually have to believe you're going out. Yes, I agree. You have to, you have Optimist. to. Yeah. No, you have to. But, but I think it, where, again, it gets, gets a little messy is then people really aren't putting in those 24 hour blocks. They're like, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just let my team do it or they're becoming less engaged. And it's really about being patient, using every 24-hour block, really being operationally involved. Then you're very, you're not going to make as many mistakes. If you are kind of leaving it up to everyone, but not double, I'm not talking about micromanaging, but really not engaged, there, there's going to be stuff that later you'll realize, oh, the inventory is wrong, or the cash flow is bad, or the or wrong person, wrong seat in the org chart. 
So it's a little bit like I, I compare this to motherhood. Like with my children, you want to be involved. You don't want to be checked out. And so the same thing with your business, no matter whether you have a president or you're just the founder and you have the CEO now, I think it's important to be not checked out. Right. And do you think that comes from passion though? Like how does passion play a role in this? And how did you know that this is the product, you know, the the type of brand that you really wanted to build? I think the idea piece and attaching yourself to the idea and that product and knowing you're going to spend the next five to 10 years building something, it's a huge commitment, right? So that's how do you know I'm, it's the right thing? That's actually why I mentioned the child thing. Cause I think about it all the time because, because your children, it all has to do with people's happiness. So some people only want to build a company and sell it to a strategic, which is amazing. Whatever they want to do, it's no, no, there's no judgment here, but it's all about self-awareness, knowing what makes you happy and then reverse engineering what you're going to do. So maybe they do just want to grow it, get executive level, be checked out, sell it, and then start their next, their next idea. So nothing's wrong here, but it's about, okay, what will make you happy? What will make you enjoy your life, your 24 hours? How can you be in service of people reverse engineer this and then, and then make it happen. So I think it's everyone will, so many people want to build a company, sell it and build another company, which is great too. So it's, it's kind of all about knowing what is going to make you happy. And then I did want to touch on time blocking. So if people don't know what time blocking is, they should, they can, Go on YouTube, Google time blocking, learn about it. I I never really, I spoke at a conference two weeks ago and I said, hey guys, I don't want to mention Elon Musk because, you know, it's, I don't want it to make it controversial. Like different people have different opinions, but I did say, you know, he Elon doesn't call it time blocking. He calls it time boxing. So he's been time boxing for years. You can also see this on YouTube, but that's also why he can do so much. Like it makes sense to me. I'm like, it makes sense to me that he has created all of this because he has really managed his time. So time blocking is. You have a whole time blocking journal you're showing me. I mean, this is a podcast they can't see, but that's cool. So you have a whole book. It's like a journal. Yeah. And I've been doing it for 18 years and I've done over 150,000 hours of time blocking. I believe in it more than anything. So what does this mean? Time blocking to me means on your calendar, you put in blocks of like 11 to 12, I'm going to do this emails and from 12 to one, I'm going to do this. Okay. Yeah. So the key is the day before you have to time block for the next day. So I usually recommend like today is Thursday. Mm -hmm. So we are going to time block for Friday by four. 4 p.m. today. Time blocking is a huge part of the mission of our company. We, we even wanted to do like a billboard campaign about time blocking. <laughs> and you only do it the day before. Is that what I'm hearing? You do it's it the really day before? It's really key. It's wow. really key. Because you got to right out the gate, you got to be ready to go. So you time block what's going to happen. And, and it really works well for having four very young children. I have everything in here. Like when they're when they're getting dropped off to school, when they're eating, what's going on? I'll write something like need to cut their nails, need to measure their feet for new shoes, put Neosporin on a cut every single or so I usually time block like a week in advance. And then as somebody interrupts me, because we get interrupted all the time, 
deadlines, things come up, you, oh, okay, someone just said they need something on Saturday. Okay, going to Saturday, I'm writing it here. And then Friday night, I will time block what's going to really happen. Anything you don't get done, because there's a thousand fires every day, you just push to the next day or the next day. And we have a saying called structure creates freedom. People just want freedom to do the things they love. People just want freedom, but structure creates freedom. And usually in motherhood, you don't have that much freedom at all. But because of time blocking, I have small little pockets where I feel like, yes. Like when my children went to sleep last night, I made like this cake and it was so amazing. And then I took a shower and then we watched like 40 minutes of a show but it's kind of all there. And just like people have meditation, therapy, yoga, something between themselves, this is just me. This is just me and myself. I've done this every day for 18 years, breastfeeding, breast pumping, working. I had four children in four years. I met the investors when my twins were three months old and I've just been time blocking. And I, I can't say enough about it. Usually the most popular feedback on any podcast I've ever been on is that if you only take away one thing from listening to this, it is time blocking. And the idea of doing it, I teach every quarter at my company, a time management um, workshop that everyone loves. And I just love it so much. I feel that there's nothing that people cannot do. Also in today's world, like mental health, people are so overwhelmed depressed, sad, anxious. It's about like creating a tool that lets you, even if you're extremely overwhelmed, you just look back at it, you keep going. And it's based off of the compound effect. So the idea that a small action over the course of 365 days will create a compound effect where if I didn't time block, I'd probably only be as 50% effective as I am. But because I'm always time blocking at the end of a year, it may seem that I'm making no progress, but I did make so much progress. And that's also where revenue growth comes from. That's where EBITDA growth comes from. Everything is compound effect. You feel like it's all the same. You're making no progress. You're stuck. Micro, 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 micro. And then at the end of the year, you can say, wow, like we grew 30% this year. Even this is what happened to our company. We were growing like 100% year over year. And then this year we grew 30%, but at least we grew 30% because, and that was just micro, 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 micro. And then at the end of the year, we're like, okay. And, and, and I know if there's any moms listening to this, this is, this is what motherhood is. It's like, there'll be this moment where you need to wash your hair, but you're so tired and you don't want, you don't want to. And then you're going to look at your time blocking sheet where it says not only to wash your hair, but it says to also put a clear coat of nail polish on your hands while watching TV. And it's those small things that set you up for just a little bit more success. Like if I take a shower and I put clear polish on my nails while I'm watching Netflix with my husband, that's sure, that's sure much better than just giving up and just watching TV with my husband. So it's these small, I mean, that is, that is my whole life. My whole life, learning disability, a lot of challenging things. We have a, one, more, one more saying, no more sayings after this. We have this saying, move forward every day, which is like just these small micro things. 
And that is why our company still exists. All these times we just, there's a decision and we didn't want to do it. And we just look at the time blocking sheet and we just do one little bit more. It's so, it's so powerful and it's for everyone. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I totally get it. I have all types of little, I don't, I don't really call it anything, but if I have something I have to do, I put it as like a to-do thing on my calendar as if it's a meeting and I'll even invite my husband to it. (laughs) It's like, I send him calendar invites all the time. He's like, really, this is a calendar invite. I'm like, yep, that's, that's how we operate. If it's not on the calendar, it doesn't happen. That's not, there's also a, a saying more sayings. I know I promise, but there's a saying that's like a task will expand to the amount of time you allow it. Whoa, so interesting. It's like, it's the like task owns to, you. Um, you don't own yes, the task. <laughs> yes, it's all about, yes. Oh my goodness. It's all about being the cause versus the effect. And we never want to be the effect. We always want to be the cause. So it's 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 very exciting. Obviously, you can tell I, I, I love this topic. Reminds me of the modeling days where they're like, don't let the dress own you. You must own the dress, you know? And like, as a model, this you got to learn to walk exactly. the runway like you own it. <laughs> it's the same thing. Don't let the task walk you. Yeah. You walk the task. <laughs> okay. I never heard it and I love it so much and I will use it again. That is so, but that's exactly, it's exactly what we're talking about. That, that's so Take control funny. of your life, basically. <laughs> <laughs> own it. Um, oh so wait, you mentioned one third thing and I didn't hear it yet. And we just have two more minutes left. What's the investor deal successful thing you were talking about? Let's go there. Yes. Okay. So, so what's great is when we finally decided, okay, we're going to do an investor deal. We were not needy because we were profitable. So when you're not needy, you can really make a decision from a place of being the cause and not the effect. So even though we talked to like Goldman and Blackstone and TPG and everybody had even better offers, we went with Butterfly Equity. They All their portfolio companies are B Corp certified. They believe in food justice. They're all about seed, you know, seed to table. I just remember like thinking about how if we weren't profitable, that whole experience of finding a partner would have come from lack and neediness instead of like ownership. Like we don't need to do this deal, but we want to, we want to secure the company. We want to give equity to our employees. I just remember thinking that that is, goes back to like the C level of maybe not taking money too early on, trying to grow it yourself by being patient having no egos, like low ego zone, and then getting yourself in a place where like, well, like this is our revenue. This is our profit. Let's go look for a partner. We're not needy. We don't need them. They need us. And and then, and then I remember doing the term sheet myself with a lawyer and it was like nine months of due diligence. It was extremely difficult, but in the end, it was, it was such a fulfilling thing to have just been patient. And we were not in retail until a year ago. So right, we have like a D to C e-commerce brand. We waited patiently eight years, finally got into retail. You know, some people it's like they're two years old and they're like crying because maybe they're not in retail, but it's just about, it's about your happiness and reverse engineering it and working to create a scenario that you will be happy with. And only the people listening will only know what will make them happy. But the key is no stone left unturned. Like try to figure out 
what will make me happy and how do I want to do this and then be patient and then time block. Yeah. And I'm curious for the listeners out there that are thinking, I really want to build a business. I want to go do that. I just don't have any ideas. I'm not sure what I want to build, but I want to do something. Do you have ideas? What would you be building if you weren't building this company? So first, I think that every single person has a gift or or something that they can add value to other people's lives. I have, again, mentored so many people. I used to have, this was before COVID. Now I just kind of do my own nails, but I used to have someone who did my nails before COVID and he was in film school and he was so amazing. And I helped him launch like a specific film camera thing for your iPhone on Amazon, right? So it's not logical that he would want to launch a product, but he's like, I want to launch a product. And then I said, like, what are you passionate about? What do you like? Everyone has an ad value for other people. And I think it's about finding what is your ad value for other people and how can you improve their lives and take care of them through a service or a product, a, a project or a product. That's really the key. You see it now. You see like people inventing on Amazon, like hammers or tools, but that's their life's work. They've been working on houses forever and have figured out, wow, like if you, I saw, I saw a ad where it was like a on Black Friday ad and a wrench that has like, like it turns into like 17 tools. I, I think that that <laughs> was like, who came up with that? That's not something you just come up with out of nowhere. It was like- amazing. It was so amazing. And I really think that that's the key. And it's not always about business. Some people might want to do a project in their communities or something for their children's school, but everybody has something that can be amplified and, and, and they can share that with other people. Absolutely. Well, I know we are at time. I really appreciate you sharing such incredible advice and insights and your story. It's just also inspiring. Thank you much. Thank you so much for for joining me on the show today. And if you have any final advice for um, aspiring or current entrepreneurs, go for it and tell us what's next for Mary Ruth Organics. I mean, a year ago, I really wanted to take our company public on the stock market in three years. I know the stock market is not a good situation right now. So we're really, instead of thinking about that, we're just doing our best and being patient. And we, we're really going to, we're going to be in 50 countries. Right now we're in about 10 countries, but in a year we'll be in 50 countries. So mostly just bringing this product to different countries and different people. And thank you for your support. And thank you for having me here. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.